Section 16 of Social Life in England, 1750 to 1850 by F. J. Folks Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Lecture 6 Social Abuses as Exposed by Charles Dickens, Part 1 let us revel in the company of a writer who has been perhaps even more appreciated in america than in his own country and will you allow me to express my opinion that the greatest proof of the magnanimity of your fathers was shown in the fact that they forgave martin chuzzlewit and took its author to their heart no little man and for that matter little nation can bear to be caricatured many even who possess true greatness cannot endure ridicule it must remain to the eternal credit of your country that charles dickens was beloved by it nowhere did the creator of our elijah pogram hannibal chollop mrs hominy and mr scatter find a warmer welcome than in the country where he discovered their prototypes and his popularity in america is a testimony to the good humour and generosity of its people my object in this lecture is to endeavour to explain the england which dickens described and i will with your permission preface my remarks by pointing out some of the disadvantages of an old society bearing in mind its advantages also the england in which dickens worked was in many respects simpler in life yet more fertile in types of character than it is at present i cannot but think that people got more pleasure out of living than they do in our days yet if i may venture upon a paradox the world of pickwick was older not younger than the one in which we are living strictly speaking modern england is not an old country but a new one steam and electricity the progress of science and the advance of democratic ideas have inaugurated a new age and we as well as you in america live in days of experiment rather than of tradition but the england of the thirties was an old country it was changing rapidly it is true yet it is scarce an exaggeration to say that it bore a greater resemblance to the england of queen elizabeth than to that of the present day but the institutions of the past which had changed very little in character had become more intolerable as civilization advanced and consecrated by time they pressed very heavily on the many to the great benefit of the few interested in their maintenance the main thesis i shall put before you to-day is that it is time that an edition of dickens appeared with a good popular commentary for much of it is not intelligible even to an english reader at the present day and one thing which the volumes should have is a map of the london which he is so fond of describing most of the sights have become so changed as to be hardly recognizable and the appearance of the streets is so altered that one can hardly reconstruct them even in imagination it would be no difficult task to find plans and pictures to assist one in this direction and the result would i think be most illuminating to the reader the prisons for example of which we read so much the fleet the marshalsea newgate itself have all disappeared and few now know where the two former actually stood as to the notes and comments which might be written i hope this lecture may indicate what i mean the first novel i shall take is oliver twist because it despite the charm of the story 
is almost unintelligible to the ordinary reader where it deals with the conditions of the lives of the very poor and of the criminal classes i need hardly remind you of the details there is the poor little boy born and bred in the workhouse under mr bumble the beadle his being apprenticed his escape to london and his introduction to the thieves school kept by the jew fagin the devilish plot to make him a criminal his escape and his restoration to his family a character like fagin's would be impossible in london at the present day there may be equally dangerous criminals but he was protected by a system which is now happily entirely obsolete his infamous trade was to train up criminals whom he finally handed over to the arm of the law i say said the other the landlord of the cripple what a time this would be for a cell i've got phil barker here so drunk that a boy might take him aha but it's not phil barker's time said the jew looking up phil has something more to do before we can afford to part with him so go back to the company my dear and tell them to lead merry lives while they last ha 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 and again change it exclaimed the jew to nancy i will change it listen to me you drab listen to me who with six words can strangle sykes as surely as if i had his bull-throat between my fingers now if he comes back and leaves that boy behind him if he gets off free and dead or alive fails to restore him to me murder him yourself if you would have him escape jack ketch and do it the moment he sets foot in this room or mind me it will be too late these are no empty boasts fagin had literally the lives of all who thieved for him in his pocket and this is the motive of the plot of the story the object of fagin is to get oliver twist to commit some crime and thus be able to hand him over to the police as soon as it was convenient to do so let us see how this could be managed there were practically no police london was protected by a horse patrol in the suburbs and a small foot patrol in the streets each parish had its own watchman who might not under any circumstances leave his beat not even to prevent a felony the parish constable or headborough was paid a ridiculous wage in the great parish of shoreditch he received four pounds ten shillings that's twenty-two dollars and fifty cents a year yet it was what with blackmail and fees a lucrative office if the headborough prosecuted he could get expenses at the rate of six dollars a day and more and he could bring in any other friend who held the same office as a witness expenses paid crime was prevented by encouraging informers a man could get forty pounds two hundred dollars for information which led to a capital conviction and he could sell the exemption which he also gained from serving in a public office in the parish for a similar sum it became actually in the interest of the thief-takers to allow young persons and even children to commit minor crimes in the hope that sooner or later they would be guilty of worse offences it was naturally the prime object of the informer to obtain a conviction fagin combined the work of a receiver of stolen goods with that of a thief-taker the administration of the workhouse system was equally bad the humour with which dickens describes mr bumble the beetle his pomposity his courtship of the matron and his fall is delightful 
but mr bumble the visiting magistrates and the overseers of the poor represent a state of things almost unthinkable in its brutality oliver himself was nearly being apprenticed to a sweep who would certainly have treated him much as crabbe's peter grimes treated his apprentice and this dialogue between mr bumble and mrs mann the nurse of the pauper children reveals the spirit with which the indigent poor were treated mrs mann i am going to london lock mr bumble said mrs mann starting back to london ma'am resumed the inflexible beadle by coach i and two paupers mrs mann a legal action is a-coming on and the board has appointed me me mrs mann to dispose to the matter at clerkenwell you are going by coach sir i thought it was always usual to send them paupers in carts that's when they're ill mrs mann said the beadle we put sick paupers in carts in rainy weather to prevent their taking cold oh said mrs mann the opposition coach contracts for these two and takes them cheap said mr bumble they are both in a very low state and we find it would come two pounds cheaper to move em than to bury them that is if we can throw em upon another parish which i think we shall be able to do if they don't die upon the road to spite us ha 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 when mr bumble had laughed a little his eyes again encountered the cocked hat and he became grave here is fiction let us turn to facts as we find them in the history of the england of the period the parish had the right to apprentice the children of poor parents to any trade children under this law might be sent to any part of the kingdom it is a very common practice wrote romilly in eighteen eleven with the great populous parishes in london to bind children in large numbers to the proprietors of cotton mills at a distance of two hundred miles the children who are sent off by wagon loads at a time are as much lost for ever to their parents as if they were shipped off for the west indies the parishes that bind them get rid of them for ever and the poor children have not a human being in the world to whom they can look up for redress from these wholesale dealers whose object it is to get everything they can wring from their excessive labours and fatigue instances and not very few have occurred in our criminal tribunals of wretches who have murdered their parish apprentices that they might get fresh premiums with new apprentices some manufacturers it is shocking to state agreed to take one idiot for every nineteen sane children even naturally humane men were found to defend these dreadful abuses in the house of commons here is an extract from a speech although in the higher ranks of society it was true that to cultivate the affections of children for their family was the source of every virtue yet it was not so among the lower orders it would be highly injurious to the public to put a stop to the binding of so many apprentices to the cotton manufacturers as it must necessarily raise the price of labour and enhance the price of cotton manufactured goods we turn next to the debtors prison which is so prominent in the pickwick papers so resolute was mr pickwick not to submit to the judgment against him in the famous trial that he allowed himself to be imprisoned in the fleet he was first put into the warden's room with several other prisoners when he entered the room the others were absent so he sat down on the foot of his little iron bedstead and began to wonder how much a year the warden made out of the dirty room 
having satisfied himself by mathematical calculation that the apartment was about equal in annual value to a freehold in a small street in the suburbs of london etc etc here we have one of the great abuses of the horrible debtors prisons in london they were jobbed by the officials and the bare decencies of life could only be obtained by a heavy payment the warders charged one pound one shilling on entrance for garnish which was supposed to provide coals candles brooms etc and exorbitant fees were demanded for rooms the state of those who could not pay was deplorable in the prison of the court of requests at birmingham according to the parliamentary papers of eighteen forty four eight years after pickwick was written the male prisoners slept in an attic eleven feet long by sixteen broad on platforms littered with loose straw for exercise at kidderminster they walked in a yard thirteen yards square and their room was without even a fireplace for food they were allowed one quarter of a loaf of bread and were allowed two jugfuls of water for drinking and washing in eighteen twenty seven nearly six thousand persons in london were imprisoned for debt we read constantly in dickens of chancery prisoners especially in little dorrit men who had been thrown into jail to rot there for years because they could not pay for suits in which they had been quite unwillingly involved the absurdity of the system was enhanced by the fact that they were deprived of any chance of working to pay their debts many were forgotten and left literally to rot they were not even allowed to escape by bankruptcy for unless a man failed in trade he could not claim that relief nor could his property be divided among his creditors the law thus gave no means of escape to the debtor nor of payment to the creditor End of section sixteen